we want to see technological solutions as well to to be able to d- detect uh, sensitive videos, not at all censor them, not at all remove them, but be able to detect them so that people can then um, have control around flagging them or muting them or filtering them off their timeline and giving them the options of how long they can do that for, just like you can do with keywords, right? Hi, my name is Vinay Nair and welcome to Reclaim Social, a podcast powered by Lightful. Reclaim Social started as a campaign in 2018 with an idea where we thought, what if we could make social media more positive? Since then, we've reached tens of millions of people, and this is just the beginning. On the Reclaim Social podcast, we talk to inspiring people who make the social media world more positive, one post at a time. So let's go. It's time to Reclaim Social. Welcome back, Shay. It's really nice to have you again on the Reclaim Social podcast. So how have you been the last six months? Yeah, I can't believe it's been six months since we um, did our first <laughs> podcast together. Um, yeah, I I mean, what a... St- what, um, what like what, what, change the last six months, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like, yeah, so much has changed. So much has... Um, like shaken or challenged like beliefs and thoughts and behaviors and yeah just yeah so much so much has changed for me or things have things that have stayed the same have become a lot more concrete and confirmed like values that I've held that were important before lockdown and before the massive introspection this year's Black Lives Matter um, movement has brought about I I think those values have really become more concrete and um, yeah, I'm quite thankful for that as well. So how has Glitch changed over the last six months? Glitch before COVID was talking about the importance of online abuse and harassment and was talking about the need to change our language and our vocabulary around online abuse and how important it is and how it's the crisis of our, one of the crises of our lifetime. And then we were talking about how it's under re- underfunded and um, and how it's a continuum of the offline space. And we said that as much as um, technology is beginning to shape our lives and be part of, of our everyday being, we, we had to also think about digital citizenship and social norms and digital self-care. And then boom, all of that stuff was exactly what was needed. And so there's been a huge increase in demand for our training workshops there's been um, more people understanding the needs of our organization and funding it, which has been great. Um, and we've been able to kind of use the evidence of of lockdown and the increase in online abuse to be pushing for governmental change and putting pressure here domestically, but also internationally too. So that's been really exciting. I think one thing for us that has changed and for me and I guess then as an extension glitch is that we've become a lot more vocal about what we care what we care and believe and when we made our Black Lives Matter statement a couple of months ago it was a three-pronged approach it was an introspection Mm -hmm. for us and what we're going to do and what we're going to offer Black Lives Matter activists and campaigners and what we're going to offer um people who are um campaigning around racial justice issues we were also going we also made a point to talk about the, the 
the work that the charity sector and the women's sector as a whole needed to needed to do and that silence was compliance and then we also took um or we also made a call to government and tech companies saying it's not enough to do black squares it's not enough to just do a hashtag there has to be systematic change and and, uh, and reform and that looks at like content moderation that looks at like toxic behavior online that looks at giving users more control over their of, over their platform and how they use the online space particularly when um you're seeing traumatic content like the late george floyd take take his last breath and call for his mother and his children as a black person do you want to consistently be seeing that and constantly being seen seeing that on your timeline especially when you've seen it once and do you need to see it again and how can social media companies understand that black lives matter online too and giving giving users control around how they upload content so there's there's trigger warnings and sensitive materials so yeah the last six months and particularly the last the last two months has really allowed us to really dig deeper deep deep and one what is it that we are, are doing and what, what is it that we're proud of we're proud to be intersectional we're proud to champion and platform those from marginalized communities and voices and those that have been racialized and i think it's allowed us to really dig deep in that and um and a good time because we're also looking at our kind of branding work and our new website and i think that's going to be really exciting time for glitch yeah oh that's exciting a new website and brand <laughs> yes I think it's what you've said earlier. It's about shaking things up. And obviously, there were so many big changes all of a sudden and trying to adjust. But also, there is an opportunity. And with work like what you're doing with Glitch, to actually try and think of the next steps and how we can really help more people right now. Yeah. So what do you say? There is a change, for example, in the framing from now on for Glitch and the work that you're doing. Um. I don't know if the framing's changed. I think there's a lot of I told you so for me around we told you, we told you. <laughs> I think what's made it what's changed is people understanding there was a kind of a knowledge gap, there was a kind of capacity gap. We saw that with lobbying, we saw that with advocacy, we saw that with trainings. There was a there was a gap in understanding what tech accountability looked like. There was a gap in understanding that we as consumers, we as users of tech tech uh, companies and tech um Uh, technology um, we had some power in shaping what can be done and we're seeing that now with hashtag stop funding hate or stop profit from hate mm-hmm. um, or stop hate from profit sorry um, I always get the hashtag mixed around mixed mixed up um, we're seeing people we're seeing advertisers and brands like Unilever big 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 companies and brands and even a political party here in the UK say they're no longer going to be advertising on Facebook to really get Facebook to think about its attitude and response to hate. Um, we've also had meetings with every single tech, major tech company um, in, the, in response to our petition around Black Lives Matter online too, and it, it's available for people to sign. We'd love to get to 3,000 signatures. Um, it, we've had those conversations saying the exact same thing, but it's now been listened to a lot more. So I think there's a lot more bigger ears open ears if you like to what we're saying meaning that um finally that um, we can hopefully start seeing some progress and as you mentioned the petition i wanted to ask about that so you've launched a glitch petition in, was it in june we launched the petition i want to say yeah, early june 
it's not late May. So it was pretty much demanding social media companies to do more to protect its users from seeing the violent police brutality videos. And Absolutely. And just asking for consistency because yeah. we saw it with, um, you know, we saw sensitive um, material labels put on homophobic abuse, mm. uh, domestic violence abuse. Um, we see it on um, child group, child exploitation and beheadings, which is the right thing to do. So we're just saying apply that same that same yeah, yeah. energy and thinking to, to black communities and black users and and call that stuff out. And also the opposite. So a lot of material that is photos and videos of dark skinned black women or black men get marked as sensitive material or African American vernacular or British black black British slang gets marked as sensitive material because there's a real lack of understanding in the algorithms um, and the biases around how we speak to each other and what, um, and what how we look and I think that show, that that also is telling about around freedom of expression and 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 really being able to be yourself authentically on the platform and having tech tech and and coding really understand that and champion that I think it's interesting there was somebody I'm I'm campaigning for sensitive material labels to be put on traumatic content and then um somebody saw me in the Olympic Park um a couple of weeks ago riding a bike who and it was somebody who had encouraged me and taught me how to ride a bike like for transportation use so I could ride a bike but as in like ride on the road I was very scared to do so she saw me in Olympic Park and was like oh my god can I take a photo and she uploaded oh. it and then the image to everybody else was seen as sensitive material and I was like, why is it seen as sensitive material? Because I'm a dark-skinned black woman. Wow. Um, and yet I'm asking for that to be applied on George Floyd, um, George Floyd's murder, or we saw uh, Desmond be horrifically um, uh, tasered by the police in Manchester a couple of months ago, back in March, I believe. Um, we've seen it with like other videos that have gone viral on social media and they're not marked as sensitive material. There's no kind of warning signs before you click on them, which I think is just really hilarious. So how were the chats with the tech companies? Did you feel there's any progress after this? I always get told that I need to like have a ranges of, of what I expect in terms of progress, like a long-term progress and like short term and like what quick wins are and that's been really helpful in kind of managing my expectations and sometimes my anger <laughs> in wanting to see things or my passion let's call it passion in wanting to see things happen quickly I think for the fact that we got Twitter to set to recognize that black users mental health was important was a step in the right direction I don't think we'd have ever had that five ten years ago right when you know when the platform just exi- platform was just created and when the platform were also saying, oh, there's no such thing as hate speech or, you know, we, we're taking down content. You know, like, we, I, think it's a, I think it's a huge step in the right direction. But is it, at, is it the progress, is it a progress that's quick enough for what's happening to black women who are 84% more likely to be harassed on Twitter and women who are 27 times more likely to be harassed than men? No. It still felt as a good first step, as you said, at least for the short wins. Because I was really excited to see that uh, when Twitter, all of a sudden, they were sharing tips on how to manage the Twitter experience and take care of black mental health. So being able to see, as you've said, the progress from where Twitter started to at least trying to acknowledge finally that you need to do more things, Mm -hmm. it felt that 
one step, but of course it's not enough. It's more about what next. Yeah. So after we would love to see more resources about digital self-care, digital citizenship across all tech companies, um, kind of education page, uh, pop-up reminders, um, people who are facing abuse and don't know what to do, kind of signposting them to the services that are out there, just as you would do around domestic violence or child abuse or suicide prevention. So kind of seeing that same effort is basically is basically what we what we want. We want to see technological solutions as well to to be able to d- detect uh, sensitive videos, not at all censor them, not at all remove them, but be able to detect them so that people can then um, have control around flagging them or muting them or filtering them off their timeline and giving them the options of how long they can do that for, just like you can do with keywords, right? Um, and then I think yeah. what we also want to see is anti-black. We want to see content moderation that focuses on anti-blackness and anti and, and racism. So we have dehumanizing policy. We have kind of broad harassment policies, but we don't have one that specifically focuses on how anti-blackness displays itself on the platform in terms of content, in terms of algorithms, in terms of moderation, in terms of users interacting with each other, the community, like there is so much work to be done. And it's going to be, it's going to require proper introspection from even black users around how they use the platform and asking them these questions around safety. And I'm looking forward to Glitch being a conduit of that information, bringing black users on the platform to these tech companies and facilitating that dialogue and then holding tech companies account to in a year's time so these are the things that we will will ask for what was said what have you done alongside that what have you done to contribute to that what how have you invested in this project it feels like a very interesting project for glitch to be able to as you've said be in between helping for example the black activists and everyone trying to get a better social media experience but also keeping accountable the social media companies and what they really need to do yeah making that user-friendly to people so making that helping people understand that so when there's a when when there's a kind of policy reform or there's announcement, you know, how can glitch without at all being patronising, but help kind of de demystify all of that and de, you know debust the kind of jargon and get people to really understand what this means. So when, for example, Twitter rolled out um, voice note app voice note function on the on the platform immediately. I was saying like there's huge concerns around this and had to break down why and how and it got people to really understand accessibility and how deaf communities were going to be further marginalised on the platform, how women were going to be harassed and sexually harassed um, using that product and the importance of having civil society and users be a part of the process. Um, we've been invited to kind of be part of trust and safety councils, which we're, we're internally reviewing if that's for us and how we make sure that that doesn't at all stop us from kind of being this critical friend. But it's exciting because I think it allows us to be involved earlier on in the process when products are being designed or being rolled out or piloted. We can be fighting those um those perspectives earlier on and another thing you've also worked on glitch the last few months that i've been keeping an eye on was the series of workshops around digital self-defense and keeping women safe online and i attended one of them and i really liked it because it's as you've said sometimes some things that we take for granted it's good to actually explain them and get you to a point to understand how can you keep yourself safer even on a day-to-day basis yeah, I mean, we had over 400 people sign up to our four mm-hmm. uh, free workshops. We had, um, 
at one point in our workshop a couple of weeks ago, we had 89 people, 89 women and non-binary people be a part of that call around digital self-care and safety. And I was just saying an hour isn't enough. <laughs> um, but it was, you know, we wanted to make sure we were mindful of Zoom fatigue. We were mindful of people having um, caring responsibilities and screen time. So we tried to really kind of distill what's the core bits of our content that we can give out to people. And that's made us even think a bit, be a, think about being creative around um, animation, um, using social media more to kind of put out uh, resources on our kind of Instagram, IG stories. And um, yeah, you know, that's, 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 a, that's been a push for us as well. That like not everything has to be so facilitator-led. Um, we're also looking at how things can be translated into different languages as well, and you know, you know, can things be made in in in, in Braille, or can things be made? Can we make a, a video where someone's doing British Sign Language? Um, you know, they, that that's really exciting for us. But yeah, it was it was amazing to have so many women talking about digital self defense and searching for themselves and removing bits of data they weren't happy with and making more informed decisions about where they were online and thinking about the digital self-care it's amazing and the impact from our what our last two uh workshops we've got two more to go um have been phenomenal and pe- people t- talking about realizing they were too tolerant to online abuse and um now they know how to be an active bystander and call out abuse and it's really exciting and i really hope this is a, this is part of changing the the culture and norms around um, behaviors online, and I hope I'm glad that Glitch can be a part of that. And what are the questions that you get to hear more over the workshops? Are there any specific concerns that come out more often? I think one particular concern was around setting online boundaries. A lot of people on the call struggled with that. Struggled with being able to say these are like my buckets or my ranges of like things that I'm going to tolerate, you know, and setting some kind of criteria and. We show them Vicky Ford, she's an MP just outside London, and we show mm-hmm. uh, Vicky's um, previous, uh, rules of engagement for her Facebook page, which is amazing. It's very detailed, it's long, but it basically says, I'm your MP, I'm not a, I'm not a punching bag. You can't abuse, uh, hate speech, harassment, all of that falls outside the, re- the realms of accountability. And yes, you need to hold me accountable as your MP, but that doesn't mean that I have to tolerate your abuse. And it's just really laid out. It's really emotive as well. And I think that was quite shocking for women to see. And they're like, are we allowed to do that? Is that right? And I think what's also a question for you was how much they didn't realise they were online. A lot of people thought, yeah, 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 I didn't really post. And then there were things posted from university or schools or when they've been directors or trustees of charities. And I think that's a wider question that we have to ask of of society around do we have to be putting that information out there do what why do we, we require uh, directors of charities and trust trustees of, of, of boards to be putting their uh, a home address on the website why do on websites why do we have to in in order to register with company house have to um put our home address and thinking about the kind of security concerns there why when we sign up with electoral roll does it mean that 192 can scrape all that data and for a couple quid a month people can access your 
uh, age, your you, who you live with, your home address. You know, we have to be asking like, what, what, why do we have that information out there? For who? For what purpose? And how it's making a lot of people very vulnerable. This is very important, and especially during lockdown, as we spend even more time on social media and our screens. I think it's more important than ever to actually address all the dangers and all the concerns around social media and how we can try to protect ourselves, even on a personal level. Yeah, and also showing the you know the great uses the positive uses so people doing yoga on with online through zoom or instagram people um doing dance parties people you know that that's also beautiful like like it's been so good to see such positive uses of the internet and how it's really been inclusive of people we've had people from trinidad trinidad and and tobago We've had people from Trinidad and Tobago, India, Australia, uh, Australia, uh, Bangladesh join our uh, our workshop. That would never have happened if we only could do our workshops at London City Hall. <laughs> um, and and I and I think that's amazing too. So I want us to champion and record and remember the good uses of the internet as well, so we can build on that rather than just reprimanding the bad because. We know that through different forms of science, scientific evidence around where you put your focus is what, is what you amplify and magnify, right? So yes, we want to magnify the darkness that's happening on the on the internet and what is being pushed under the underground, which is violence and abuse and harassment. But we also want to amplify the good behaviours and, and, and encourage that and model that as well for Generation Z and the ones to come. And even for older older users who have jumped on, on social media and the internet to connect with their loved ones, let's model model the right social norms too yes of course and it's pretty similar to what i was thinking there are days that you really feel overwhelmed if you focus on the negative side of things but then when you also see how the community can come together and as you've said you have the opportunity to talk on a personal and professional level with people that you didn't do before absolutely absolutely. even more right now yeah and i think that and i think that's great and i think um, it's shown where tech can meet the need, can address inequality. But then we also saw when tech is created by white, rich, elite men, where there's downfall. So we saw that with Zoom. And there had been privacy concerns raised by activists and campaigners about Zoom way before COVID and people choosing not to use Zoom. But because that became the default um, way to do video conferencing, it meant that they... They, their stock increased by millions, billions if not. And But then we saw things like Zoom bombing, a tactic that had never um, or never existed before. There was never a term for it, but we were now seeing far-right users, um, paedophiles, you know, Zoom bomb, classrooms, events, workshops, training, to be to, to be abusive to be harassed to harass users to to spread hate speech and white supremacy and if technology technological technological companies were diverse were inclusive ensure they had an oversight board a, a form of guard, a guardian council type um, framework that we've seen with tech companies like Yoti that have like an ethicals board. If we saw mm-hmm. that of every tech company and, and, and ensure that every product that came through the business had to go through this ethics board made up of diverse expert people that were on you know regular rotation as well, I don't think we would see half the problems of tech that we have now. And I think that's, I think COVID and Black Lives Matter as well has really magnified that too. Yeah, I definitely agree. And another thing that kept me a little bit optimistic on social media 
It's also the role of activism and how all of a sudden you start seeing starting from mutual aid back in the beginning of lockdown and then seeing all the yeah. communities at the local or national level. So how do you think social media can really take the next step towards activism and actually bringing people together? Well, I think I think that's for people to really like work out for themselves because I think that's where you're seeing creativity, like people seeing a problem and then find a creative way to like to raise awareness of that whether it's like making your display picture blue for the mm-hmm. um, protests in Sudan whether it's making it black in, in in solidarity for Black Lives Matter you know whether it's putting pro, you know pronouns in your name hashtags whether you've seen it with um, K-pop fans um, beating yeah, the yeah. algorithms so that you know Black Lives Matter was trending you know it, 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 people are are creative so it's not about Glitch or myself trying to prescribe be a yeah prescribe that what we're what we're what we're saying is with any trend of activism or new um, new behaviors there is just a safety um principle that's kept in mind thinking about it doing no harm to the person or other people or to friends and family thinking about surveillance thinking about tech accountability and thinking about like your responsibility with your data i think that's what that that's just what we want people to bear in mind so yes you want to film you know that you're at the black lives matter protest but then you're capturing people and putting them on on in your video you're capturing that and you're then uploading that potentially putting people at risk um or you are uploading content and it's got you know your children on there and there's a whole conversation around um have children really consented to having their data put on on the internet um you've also got um people who are uploading content that is very violent and traumatic without any trigger warnings that's talking about horrific things like and it's great that we're having conversations of testimonial movements that you know like me too or speak out or speaking out that's amazing but where can we make sure there's safety and and protection there and this is not about being snowflake generation it's just saying that we have to do we have to start doing our campaign movements differently it can't be on this this notion of 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 burnout activism activists having to burn out as a kind of martyrdom kind of a badge of honor we have to have movements and campaigns and technology that is predicated on self-care. And that's not selfish, that's sustainable. That makes economic sense. That makes moral sense. Um, that makes sense health-wise. Um, and I think that's what I'd love to see, safety principles in our activism, in our innovation, in our creativity, as well as self-care. And speaking of self-care, I was about to ask anyway. So it's been a roller coaster mm-hmm. the last six months or so. How is your self-care doing? Mm-hmm. I mean, as we said just before this podcast, it goes up and down. You kind of think, yes, yeah, Monday starts the week. I'm going to go for a run. I'm going to go to yoga. You know, you're going to do ice, get your, treat yourself to iced coffee. <laughs> and then it's, you know, you're like Tuesday afternoon, back, your third back-to-back meeting, Zoom fatigue, and all you want is like a takeaway because you can't be bothered to cook. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think what I've really loved is, again, covid and lockdown challenging some stuff but also affirming some things that i love working remotely and i've always wanted to work abroad i've always wanted to be able to work in the sun and now looking at options of doing that that there's no longer a draw to live in london when i was a counselor i had to live in newham i had to live 
in London and that's that's no longer the case anymore now with covid and remote working and investment in technology like there's even is it, i feel like i'm even being pushed pushed out of london in a way and i think that's really exciting um i think I, you know i've really missed dance class i think i spoke about how important dancing is yes, to me yes. and and having to find new ways of exercising and sometimes also learning that i, I can't always do things that i enjoy mm-hmm. and sometimes i i think self-care is just about doing all the things that you enjoy like no sometimes self-care is really about being tough with yourself and making sure you're going to bed at a good time and you're not on your phone too much and you're not responding to emails so one big thing that I did in lockdown because I was you know because we were constantly on our phones and using more tech I got a work phone and a personal phone and that was a game changer like as soon as my work phone battery dies on like a a Thursday night Friday morning to work Fridays which is another blessing um I don't I don't switch it on until Monday so I have so I'm certain whatsapp groups people texting me glitches social media accounts I can't access and I won't char- I won't charge my phone um until the Monday unless I'm working that weekend which has been very rare and that's that's that distancing <laughs> has been amazing it's a and it's allowed me to be I think more of an effective leader when I come to work on Monday kind of fresh focused having the capacity and space to think about things it's been quite meditative you know you know kind of taking that break and that that pause from work um I think also about being a bit more um firm with my boundaries as well like a lot of journalists and a lot of people think that you know they email you you have to respond in 10 minutes and if you don't email if you don't reply back then they don't text you or they, they dm you and you know it can it can feel quite suffocating and just talking a lot more encouraging a lot more activists and campaigners to talk about their boundaries and talk about like this is not okay to be to feel hounded because of you know five to seven minute media appearance um and yeah having that conversation has been also really good like and I hope that kind of changes the way we do PR and media and journalism not everything is urgent people think it is but it's it's not I think that applies in so many ways that we probably realized on lockdown is it really urgent do we really need to focus on another thing right right it's definitely a game changer I see that in so many ways yeah I I think so too and long may it stay you know long may it stay like it's like you know it's my going to turn 29 in five weeks and been thinking about my birthday party and you know I'm in an R and like should I should I celebrate my birthday and you know should I have a party you know really thinking about it and then thinking about if I really want to celebrate like what do I want to do if I'm asking people to leave their house and potentially risk COVID what is it I want to, to do and who do I want to spend it with and yeah that's been a really like important reflection point for me as well and um you know thinking that I had to be at every single networking event that I got invited to and I had to be and I had to accept every single panel and it had to accept every thing every podcast invitation and actually taking the time yeah. to breathe and something that I've been doing a lot to reason it's actually been annoying my boyfriend I've been saying like how can we do things more from a place of rest and he just rolls his eyes and he thinks I've become like this yogi weirdo but but it's a question of okay what is rest it's peace it's responsive rather than reactive it's uh considered it's calm it's there's low low blood pressure you know when you start thinking about rest like all that that amazing soothing feeling you get what's the opposite of rest 
fear, anxiety, the fear of scarcity of resource, um, a drama, reactive, volatile. It doesn't always have to be passion, energy, high energy. And high energy can also be exhausting and can also drain drain you. Um, and just wondering how I can, particularly when it comes to things that are always going to evoke an emotion from me online, whether it's somebody being an idiot, somebody trolling you, somebody making an inappropriate comment about Black Lives Matter or whatever it is, how can you respond? How can I respond more? How can I respond to things more from a place of rest? And why does do, challenging myself about why does giving why does giving contributors to something always mean giving a hundred percent? Does my best mean a hundred percent? Isn't my best being most efficient? And just yeah, thinking about that a lot more. But it's been really annoying my boyfriend because I'm like, how can we make this dinner from a place of rest? <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> It's really good thinking. Yeah, though. I think it's been revolutionary. And I really, you know, I talked to you about wanting to write a book. I really yeah, think yeah. that time is coming sooner rather than later. Ooh, um, really? And I would love to do it as well if I can get to work more remotely out of the UK. That's exciting, though. Um, yeah, and I really think it would be great to kind of talk about what COVID has taught, taught me rest. I think it's probably a big lesson from any direction, really. If you think how this can really help you define what you really want to do and how you can really be more efficient as you said and effective yeah 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 and i know i'm a second generation british nigerian immigrant where overachieving was just seen as like achievement <laughs> like it was like the <laughs> default right and striving and resilience and working hard was like just what you had to do so that's been my default and really and really and and that's not sustainable because i've seen it in my mother i've seen it in family and friends about burnout and depression and mental health and um i've seen the effect stress has on my body in terms of breakouts in terms of feeling the cortisone in my body um not eating right like not sleeping well um moody irritated like just yeah either terrible constipation or the opposite like yeah. I've seen that effect on my body and I refuse to kind of go back back there and think that if we're going to set up charities we're going to build back build better build a better future one well if we're going to build a better future we have to acknowledge the past and our atrocities in the past whether it is slavery genocide whatever it is like we have to acknowledge it but secondly we have to do it differently and I think that part that part of that difference has to be around rest and self-care we can't keep having activists and campaign movements or tech startup. You know that 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 have you come across it? That kind of tech startup culture of having to be like fast paced and sprints and stuff like that. And Teresa, ask ask everybody in my organization, ask our trustees. Oh my god, I tried to make this sprint work. I was like, sprint, this will work for us because tech is evolving. It's all the techies do. So we're gonna like work in 12-week cycles. Every time I started, it never worked. <laughs> it just felt like it was a clash with like what we were saying is self-care, but then we were sprinting. Sprinting for what? <laughs> and um really challenging. I just I just don't think we we need to sprint. If we can do things more from a place of rest and a place of self-care, then a lot of organizations that were doing that already like glitch you know promoting ourselves here wasn't really impacted by covid operationally because we were working remotely we had flexi time we worked four days a week you know just all you know all of that it didn't really affect us as much that's good then 
Well, I feel like we could have another episode just about self-care and all the learnings from lockdown, which we we'll probably should yeah. do. <laughs> yeah, that would be nice. Yeah, we, we could probably time that with our survey. So we, the last four weeks, have asked people to complete a survey on COVID-19 and online abuse. We've asked women and non-binary people to share their experience. Have their employers or their voluntary supervisors provided any kind of training or support with being online, so mutual aid groups, Facebook groups, um, or when your employers ask you to work from home and make make your garden table and your uh, kitchen tables and living room the workspace, where, was there any support provided? We've asked questions around the online abuse people have experienced, if it's been racialized or gendered in any way, um, and also people who haven't, and what, what their experience has been like not experiencing online abuse as well, so we can champion more of that. And um, we've had just we've had just under 500 people complete the survey in the four week window and preliminary results prove that online abuse has increased in lockdown, that it's increased for people who've experienced online abuse already, that they've experienced even more during lockdown. Internet usage is increased by something like 90 percent. And what we're now looking at is breaking that out into uh, non-binary and women and then looking at different racialized groups as well. And we will launch that in September. So maybe we can talk about learnings from COVID and we can talk about that report, but also then talk about self-care and what we do next and our and digital self-care and digital citizenship having to be at the forefront of that. Perfect. That should probably be planned then. Yes. And now it's time towards the end for the rapid fire finish. I'm not sure if you remember from Woo! the last time. Yes. This is the time to stop thinking too much and not ask okay. big questions. It's just whatever comes to your mind. You ready? Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Question number one. If you had the option right now, because, you know, COVID-19, where would you like mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. travel with no second part? Barbados, without a doubt. I'd go to Barbados tomorrow. Did you see that there was an article yes. that said that they encouraged yeah. people? Exactly. I would get a four-week Airbnb and use one of my travel vouchers because the travel companies haven't given me a refund. and i would um i would go to barbados and stay there for a month at least and then yeah work from there maybe see other islands cuba yeah some yeah love it the joy of travel right Mm -hmm. uh tell us one random and exciting thing that happened to you the last six months i have a boyfriend (laughs) that's exciting (laughs) yeah What's your go-to song to cheer you up? Oh, at the moment, my go-to song um, is Dream Girl by, I believe, a French artist. Ooh. I will send it to you. It, cause it's just because I saw a video of a little girl dancing enough. to it, and it just, it just makes me laugh, and it makes, it makes me remember her smile. So that's been a song I've had on repeat for the last kind of like 48 hours. <laughs> Amazing. And last question. What's the biggest lesson you've learned in 2020? Until the next one, I guess. Yeah, until the next one. Um, what does Black Lives Matter really mean? Like, what, what does that really mean in terms of mattering, not just in mm. terms of um, in kind of police and justice reform and defunding the police, but in our everyday lives? How can Black... How do we show that Black Lives Matter? And then, again, how do we do things from a place of rest? On the um, go-to song, I will also send you a link to a crowd crowdsource digital self-care playlist. And it was I asked the question to people like, "What's your go-to Ooh, song that makes you feel good?" And um, yeah, we should share that because I think that there's some really good songs on there from like Glee and 
and um, Mary Mary. So yeah, let's share that as well. I'm actually excited about that. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks so much for joining us for the second time. Again, I feel like we could talk for hours, so we definitely have the plan for the third interview. Yes, this is my pleasure. I've really enjoyed this. Maybe you're, you're going to inspire me to do my own glitch podcast one day. I think it would be great. I would love to listen to that. <laughs> but again, you need to rest, so don't get more ideas. Thank more you. Thanks so much for joining and hope you're coping well and do more exciting things ahead. Thank you so much, Teresa. Look after yourself. You too. Thanks. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to listen to more inspiring guests. The Reclaim Social Podcast is produced by Lightful, a technology company for social good. We work with amazing charities and nonprofit organizations and believe that those doing the greatest good deserve the best technology. If you want to find out more, visit www.lightful.com or follow us across social media. Thanks for listening.